How are you guys doing? This episode is actually sponsored by K12.com, and I hope you guys had a fantastic week or weekend or day, whatever it is. Hope you've had a fantastic day so far. We're going to kick this thing off with a little note about Pelosi and China. Yes, Pelosi and China. I know. We keep seeing these warnings about Pelosi and, and China whenever, but I, I'm, I, don't, I don't really know how, how these warnings are going to work out because apparently they are private. We know how that, that, that is, but... Uh, anyway, not only are they private, but six people familiar with these actually uh, Chinese warnings have said something. So not only were they private, but now six people have came out and talked about them. So it must have been like a group of people. I don't know. China has actually publicly threatened strong measures if Pelosi actually proceeds with the, the planned visit in August. But no one person has actually said that China has expressed stronger opposition in private talks than before. So several people familiar with the situation have actually said that the private talk went even further by suggesting possible military response. I don't know. Uh, not a big, I don't know. I'm not a big believer on this one. This thing I found uh, apparently believes that the Chinese military could try to block Pelosi from landing inside of Taiwan and or take actions to impede her visit, such as using fighter jets to intercept the U.S. Aircraft, I don't know. It just seems like, you know one of those little tabloids you see at the grocery store if you guys don't live in America, when you guys go to like Kroger or CVS or whatever, well, it doesn't really matter. The little tabloids, uh, the paper ones, it's like, oh my God, Princess Diana's back from the dead. That kind of, I feel like that's what one of this was. I'm not a big fan of Pelosi in general, but I am all for her going to Taiwan if it's going to get under the skin of the Chinese Communist Party. I do personally believe China is our number one enemy as of right now, but I don't believe they would go as too far as to shoot down her plane. I know it's kind of funny to say that, but shoot down her plane or even intercept it from reaching Taiwan. So just going to throw that one out there. But we're going to come back over here to Ukraine. I'm going to tell you guys, I can assure you that this so-called operational pause the Russians have called for a few weeks back hasn't really panned out. They have actually kicked up their offensive pushes in certain areas, but for the most part, their military is stalled out significantly. And honestly, it's due to the American weapons. I'm just, I'm just going to throw that out there. I know, I know I have preached this multiple times in previous episodes, and I promise this will be the last time I talk about these things so extensively. I found a piece that was well put together, and it really shed some light on certain aspects as to why the HIMARS may have been the game changer for the Ukrainians in the war against Russia. No one really knows the entire like exact number of HIMARS that are on ground, like in ground inside of country, but it's roughly between 8 and 12. The main reason the Russians have been moving exceptionally slow is due to the fact that uh, just over the last few weeks, the HIMARS on the ground have been really effective and almost have been able to completely strip the Russians on the ground of their ammunition and fuel depots. Now, I didn't realize this, and thank you to Ilya uh, Ponomarenko. He's with the Kiev Independent uh, he pointed this out. He had a really, really good article, but he pointed this out. But since the HIMARS have actually came into play for the Ukraine, uh, the Ukrainian military, it has actually given them the ability to start using these old Soviet Tashka U ballistic missiles, which have been, for the most part, just kind of stored away because they would have been targeted by, by, the, by the Russians. Because they weren't really, they were going to be easy targets for the Russians. And they would have had a, <clears throat> these things actually have a max effective range of 100 kilometers. And they're apparently more powerful than the HIMARS. Uh, the biggest issue using them, though, is the fact that they are far less precise and have a way easier interception probability. Uh, by But with they're combined with the HIMARS, it's going to give them the ability to strike well behind the front line, especially inside the southern region of Ukraine. Now, most people just look at the war and don't really think about the logistics that go behind uh, behind the scenes. As these units move up and take more ground, they'll be needing to actually adjust their ammo supplies and fuel supplies as they move forward. So as they advance forward, they're going to consistently have to move these, these ammo depots. Now, 
Russians usually keep them about 20 to 30 kilometers from the main front line, which has been one, it's been one of the weakest downfalls, I guess, <laughs> weakest downfalls, biggest downfalls. Uh, but prior to the HIMARS, it was a huge benefit to their ability to actually resupply their men really fast. So I mean the HIMARS alone have destroyed, like I, I'm saying this, they have destroyed 50 Russian ammunition depots in the past two weeks alone. Now the Russian Air Force has been actually useless. Like when I mean useless over the last couple months, they've been useless uh, striking deep behind, like inside of Ukrainian held territory. And that, well, I say Ukrainian held territory, inside the country of Ukraine, their own land. Uh, that's mainly due to the weaponry, like the man pads. Now, if the Russians don't figure out how to use uh, their, <laughs> their, their own air force, it's going to be very difficult for them to actually target the HIMARS. Like if they don't figure out a way to counter target these things and counter hit them and hit them back. These harmars, they're going to see a shift, like here very shortly inside of inside of the the country of Ukraine, in certain areas. Like the Ukrainians are going to begin to make some progress. Now, if you're looking for more control over your child's education, check out today's sponsor, which is K12.com. K12 helps you take charge with tuition-free online school that fits your life. Personalize your child's education to let them learn in their own ways at their own pace, and using the tools and tech for their generation. Learning is flexible, interactive, and fun. I'm going to tell you guys right now, I wish I had K12.com growing up. I did not get myself a high school education. I have a GED. I joined the military. I hated school. I was not good at it. I wasn't. I, I just couldn't grasp what, what they were saying. I wish I had K12.com back then. Right now, you guys can go to k12.com forward slash iHeart, where you can explore curriculum and see success stories for some of over 2 million families that have taken charge of their child's education. You can too. Help your child reach their full potential. Classes are taught by passionate state certified teachers, and your child has the chance to develop social skills through field trips, clubs, and activities. K-12 has been helping families take control of the child's education for over 20 years, and you can too. Take charge today at k12.com forward slash podcast. It'll be linked at the very top of the description for every single person who is over here on the YouTube channel listening. Please go check them out. They'll be linked at the very top of the description. Thank you so much at k12.com for sponsoring today's episode. So we're going to move over to some of the stuff that's going on on the ground over there inside of Ukraine. We have some mapping to discuss. I've got, I've got a bit of mapping, I guess you'd say. A bit of ground movements so of what's been going on and what hasn't been going on. So I was sent something a week ago. That stated that the Russians are going to attempt to take Kharkiv once again, but I honestly didn't think much into it because I don't think it was actually feasible in their current state. Like I, I really don't as of right now either. I mean, they have so much men shifted over to the eastern side. They're trying to figure out what's going on the southern side of the country. I don't know. But there has been a mass transit of Russian troops from the Izium area back north towards Kupiansk. Everybody's looking, so here's kind of the overlay map of what's going on over here inside of Ukraine. Here's Izium. So they've been actually pushing a bunch of the men up here from Izium all the way up to Kupiansk, which we know Kupiansk. If you've been here for a while, you would know that Kupiansk is the logistical hub for the eastern side of the country due to its ability to bring supplies in from Russia on train. So you guys see this dotted line that leads into Valyuki. This is one of the logistical hubs that actually comes out of Valyuki into Kupiansk. So that's what that dotted line is. It's a rail line. So Russia relies heavily on utilizing railways to actually transport their supplies, which is a a Soviet tactic, and has actually hurt their ability somewhat since we're clearly fighting in 2022 and not 1950. So a lot of the logistical uh, supplies and hubs and everything are, are abound around these uh, railways. We see it down in the southern portion of the country as well. We keep seeing these videos of these these Russian era, or Soviet era, excuse me, which is, I guess, Russian era, Soviet era uh, trains with these 
machine guns and stuff. Like, like no one's really attacking these trains, but they have to have them on there because that's how they are moving all the supplies. This is another reason why they've also had so many logistical issues and time constraints when trying to shift their men and supplies to other regions within Ukraine. Like, I don't want to speculate too much as to why they could be shifting these men north, but the only real reason, if you think about it, would be to redistribute these men either to the Eastern Front, which could be because they haven't really been able to make any progress moving on the southern portion of Izium, or they could be shifting them towards Kharkiv. But I don't really know what advantage they would have right now by taking the city of Kharkiv itself. That's why when that, that article was sent over to me, I just didn't really think much into it. I mean, you guys really think they're going to take Kharkiv? Why, like, if we zoom out and look over here, like, what is what are they going to gain up here? Like, right now, this is what they need to close off. They need to close off this gap somehow. I don't think that's going to happen. Personally, I don't really, as of right now, I don't believe it's going to happen. Now, I would say the most likely course of action would be to put more men onto the Eastern Front because they are somewhat stalled out there. And, I'm, and have been attempting to actually take certain villages and towns over the last week without any success. I think a lot has to do with it, though, was with terrain. Like, the Russians are dealing with a lot different terrain than they had in the past. Now, they're going into these, these situations with a bit more hills and valleys. Now, we also... This is kind of a big deal because we haven't seen confirmation as of yet, but we have confirmation that HIMARS are working on the eastern side of the country as well, which is something we haven't seen in the past. I was skeptical. I was skeptical that this wasn't going to be a thing, mainly because it's extremely risky to bring these things over into this area of Ukraine because you don't want them to get destroyed. Let's just be honest. But the Ukrainian military actually destroyed a command and observation post of the 785th Detachment of the Special Task Force of the Russian National Guard using them. Wow, that is a mouthful. Now, this this thing, this command, was actually located fairly deep behind Russian lines in the town of Barova, which I'm going to show you guys right now. So this is Barova right here. This is where that was. I zoom out just a little bit. Look how deep that is. That's pretty deep. And this happened just 12 hours ago. Like, literally just 12 hours ago. And some of the numbers that are coming out from this one strike, you're looking at 66 soldiers, KA, 5 tanks, self-propelled howitzer, anti-tank missile system, and three units worth of armored and automobile or automobile vehicles. So a lot of transport and some soldiers. Like that's a lot. Like this this should be more of an eye opener for the Russians on the east side of the country because now they are now going to realize that they aren't really safe, even well away from the front line. Like this is very this is it's not good. If, I mean, if it was me on the ground and I was on the Russian side, I think I'm, I was like, well, this is kind of this would make me a little bit more worried. Like there's literally nowhere now. If you just draw a line like this, look at this. Yeah, right there. Rough estimate. High Mars or anywhere over here, which the Russians can't touch. Anywhere over anywhere over in this area? I'm telling you right now, they can't touch it. That's that's pretty nuts. It's High Mars. I'm telling you. I know. Been talking about it. I'm gonna get over here. Get off my soapbox there for a second. Now the Ukrainian military has been doing probing attacks on the Russian defense line just outside of Chuyhiv along the M03 route. M03 route, that main highway that's leading down towards Izium. So just right through here. So out of Chuyhiv, they've been doing probing attacks all the way through here, trying to figure out, uh, when you do probing attacks, you're trying to find weaknesses inside the opposing, uh, I say opposing party, but opposing sides uh, defensive line. Other than lobbing artillery rounds back and forth, they really haven't done very much movement in this area. So that's pretty much it. Now, outside of Slovenas, we're going to peel back and move a little bit down south here. So now we're looking at Slovenas on the southern side of Izium. Now, outside of Slovenia, there has been some Russian recon elements that try to flank around the Ukrainian positions that are just outside of Boho Rodichine. We may have got it right that time, and I've said this multiple times. So the southern side right here, all high ground, looking over that city. This main route is extremely crucial. 
that leads down into Slovinask out of Izium. Okay, now it looks like the Russians are now finally realizing they aren't going to make any progress inside of this area without getting an element south and to push around the Ukrainians on that southern hilltops overlooking the city. Like, they were intercepted and pushed back to original positions. Like, I, I, I've been talking about this. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. I feel like I said this about a month ago. They're going to have to get down this main route and push around. That's the only way they're going to be able to take the city. When you control the high ground, and the high ground has multiple layers, like, it's not just one hilltop. It's multiple hilltops. And in between those hilltops, a bunch of valleys. Like, it's, it's very difficult to actually push down through that. Like, it's going to be next to impossible without pushing around. And then the recon element now did. Now, a big thing here is now the Ukrainians know where the Russians could possibly push through so they can beef up that, that defensive line. Now, I'm still somewhat confused on what is really going around in the area of Bakhmut itself. So we're going to shift a lot, uh, a lot of east, I guess you would say. Somehow the Ukrainian forces that have been encircled um, been holding off the advancing Russians for almost two weeks now. And this is down inside of this area. I, I don't I don't know how they're... I, I don't know. This is like the last area that is currently being held by the Ukrainians. And that is stopping the Russians from having full control of the southern route that is leading into Bakhmut. Now, I, I don't know. There hasn't been a lot of movement over through here. I will say, all along north of here, outside of Seversk... The Russians have been attempting, and I in this area right here, all these these main areas in the I'm going to call it like the northern side of this front, like just outside of Lischansk, all that ground they've been attempting to to push through, and they've been repelled. They have been trying every single day along this entire line right here, along that entire line, they've been attempting to push forward, but it has not been panning out very well, like at all. So that's why I think they could be possibly shifting these men all the way around to help with this front, but. Other than that, there hasn't been any movement inside of this area. Uh, other there, other than, excuse me, on the, the Kirsten side, which we actually had to talk about. So we were just sitting up here. We're going to shift. There has been no movement along the southern front whatsoever. There's been some small uh, ticks or troops in contact. But we're going to move over to the uh, eastern side, I guess you'd say, over near Kirsten. So I'm going to go to my close-up. All right. Now, the Russians for sure control the town of David Brid. They've been attempting to push an element west to regain control of the town of Bilarica which I think that's like the second one I know of. But that is right here. They've been attempting to take that, but they've been unsuccessful thus far and have been met with extremely heavy resistance. I can also confirm the town outside of Kirsten called Oleksandrovica, which is down here. Oleksandrovica. I've had it under Russian control pretty much this entire time. I can tell you guys right now, it is still under Russian control. And due to videos coming out, they are inspecting destroyed schools near the city center. I'm going to point something out as well. Inside this area, we know the high Mars has been working pretty well. So you guys see this big red route right here. It's a big red added on area. So there is a gentleman that I, I follow that's been fairly spot on. Um, this one could be true or not true. It's not confirmed as yet. Well, this guy is claiming, and he's, he's a pretty trusted source, I guess you'd say. But he's saying that during the blackout, some of the information the Ukrainians, they may have made some significant progress inside of this area. And when I mean significant, like their front line could be roughly like right here. Okay. Which to me would be kind of crazy because he's one of the only people that's actually saying this. He is claiming the front line is closer to that P81 route that's leading out of Kirsten that's moving north, which is his main route. He's saying it's fairly close to that route. He's saying the Ukrainian artillery will be able to actually target Russian defenses along this route and they will be more than likely able to cut off and isolate the Russian forces to the north. So everything on this main route, which is quite significant, you're talking about all this over here, all that would be cut off. Now, I cannot personally verify this as of now, 
but he isn't really the type to try and push an agenda, so he could be correct. Just going to have to wait and see. Just want to let you guys know. But that's pretty much what's been going on. The Western, well, the Western weapons with the Ukrainians' fortitude to continue to push forward and stand their ground has caused the, the Russians a bit of trouble. And I don't really know exactly where to go from here. Because we've also we've always said that the Russians get pushed into a corner. What is their most likely course of action? They're going to bring out the heavier weapons. Like there might get to a point where we might see that. It's not trying to be the Debbie Downer or anything, but let's just be honest. We could get to that point. And with and China and Taiwan, they, they might do it at the same time. And just keep note of it all. That's why I keep talking about it. We're in a very weird time of the world. So make sure to stay tuned. Subscribe if you guys made it this far in the video. I do love you guys. I'm going to go ahead and get out of here, and I'll see you guys tomorrow.